Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special Flash episode of the QT Cast. That's the Queer and Trans Podcast for the Queer and Trans Research Lab, housed at the Bonham Center for Sexual Diversity Studies at the University of Toronto. The special episode you're about to hear was recorded on March 31st, 2023, Transgender Day of Visibility, during our annual research colloquium at the Bonham Center. There was a rally for trans rights happening in Toronto at the U.S. Consulate, and because we weren't able to show up in person, we all recorded some messages of solidarity. And you're about to hear those now. Anyways, let's talk about... Let's talk about it. Okay, so I'm sitting here with Elio Colavito, um, and I'm just curious, Elio, what is on your mind? How are you feeling? Um, what do you have to say? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what am I feeling? I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I woke up, actually, it was a few days ago, I did a guest lecture for a class on queer and trans studies in the WGSI department, and the before I got up to do my lecture, the uh, course instructor put up the information for the protests happening at the U.S. consulate, mm. and... I'm usually like a person with a pretty thick skin, but it totally screwed with like the rest of my day, to be honest. Like, I, um, I'm very afraid in a way that I, I wouldn't find that I would usually be afraid. Yeah. Um, as someone who does access gender affirming care uh, and can very easily imagine myself having to move to the States for a job, and I have lived there before, I did my undergrad in the States. It's really easy for me to imagine being in a place where um, I don't have access to hormones and then therefore no longer exist as a result after some prolonged period without that ability. And, you know, uh, as a historian, the links between Canada and the States are very, very, very clear. And so even being in Toronto now, it's equally as easy for me to imagine that my life in Toronto and in Canada can very quickly go down the same path as uh, what some of our community members are experiencing in the States. And it's, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm very much on the visibility is a trap <laughs> wavelength. And so I'm seeing all of my friends and community members posting on Instagram today about being visible. And it brings up a, a lot of anxiety for me around what it means to be visible and therefore surveilled and the last thing that I want is for a transphobic cis person to know what I look like and that I'm a trans person and what kind of violence that opens me and most of the people that I love open up to right and so um, it's hard to kind of look past how yeah frankly scary things are these days and um, I've, I was joking around with my best friend yesterday. I had a very visible trans day because uh, <laughs> I went to the hassle-free clinic at um, Church and Gerard, mm-hmm. and that's supposed to be a queer space where doctors understand my body. And even in that setting, it's like not always perfect. So it was like you know, there's one, there's one strike, and being made visible and still not getting what I need in the space where I'm supposed to get what I need, like that suck the bag let me tell you that mm-hmm. um, and then you know going into I'm gonna out myself a little bit <laughs> going into the stag shop later that evening and like purchasing items that may, again made me very visibly trans to the the people working there and just like I could tell that those people were queer and that they were in affinity with me and that I was in a safe space but like I don't love I don't love being visible um, and there are times where the ability to be stealth, despite the fact that I'm like a very, five, I'm a five three, very trans looking person, um, 
I, I appreciate it a lot more than I think I could have ever anticipated when I started hormones. I think when I started my journey, um, I didn't want to lose my visibility because it was something that I had gone so accustomed to. And in the face of all of this transphobic violence, it's like, damn, maybe that's, maybe that's the goal sometimes. And that's a tough place to be in when you're a person who's a professional transsexual for a living and I do hold my queerness and my transness very close and um, it is probably those are the primary ways that I understand myself in the world and in relationship to other people and so to have to guard that in these contexts that it doesn't feel natural Mm -hmm. Um, but (laughs) fear will do that to you I guess hi Everyone, my name is Dr. Naveen Minai. I am an assistant professor and the undergraduate studies coordinator at the Mark S. Bonham Center for Sexual Diversity Studies. I teach several core courses, including methods in queer and trans studies and queer pop culture, which yes, is as fun as it sounds. I am both pleased and honored to be able to participate in the SDS Student Research Colloquium, uh, especially today on this Trans Day of Visibility. And I just want to say a few words about today. On this Trans Day of Visibility, I want to pause on the history of this day rooted in and routed through mourning and remembrance. Women of color feminisms, indigenous epistemologies, and queer and trans of color critique have taught us that remembrance and mourning can be acts of both transformative anger and love. Remembrance and mourning are methods for relation and world-making and modes of caution and attentiveness to the webs of war, capital, and empire that anchor forms of anti-trans violences. These forms of violence are legal and social and economic and intimate, infrastructural and transnational. March 20th marks 20 years since the start of the war on terror in 2003 with the invasion of Iraq although the U.S. began bombing Afghanistan in 2001. The War on Terror incorporated older forms of violence and inaugurated new ones, including the Department of Homeland Security, and the extension of existing forms of white supremacy and empire alongside the production of newer mutations of power, including transnational alliances between supremacist networks and organizations. Poets and writers, artists and organizers, and scholars have warned us for decades that violence against sexual and gender difference and violence routed through sexuality and gender as categories of difference is central to empire, to war, and to the infrastructures they produce and maintain. Violence against trans lives in both the US and Canada is central to the maintenance of settler colonial occupation, to empire abroad, and to global capital. The idea that Americana is under threat by racial sexual deviancy is older than the war on terror, but is given newer force and forms of institutional life after 2001. The idea that some bodies are disposable is older than the United States and Canada, and is evident across all the ways in which not only are the already vulnerable exposed to violence, but how more and other bodies are constantly being made vulnerable. The idea that the body is the site of control and discipline and extraction is older than the US and Canada and is foundational to both because this idea is foundational to empire, war, and capital. So today I would like us, I would like to ask each of us to think beyond settler borders when we think of violence against trans lives and loves. 
I would ask us to think of the U.S. and Canada alongside Uganda, Syria, Turkey, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Iran. I would ask us to think about Canadian mining corporations and American megachurches. I would ask us to think about the transnational infrastructures that underpin violence against trans lives and loves in our proximities. I would ask us to think of the work of black feminist scholar and organizer Mariam Kaba, who states that hope is a discipline and what such a practice of hope might require of each of us on this day, which is rooted in anger and in love. Uh, hello, my name is Christopher Smith. I'm the program coordinator for the Queer and Trans Research Lab at uh, the Bonham Center for Sexual Diversity Studies, University of Toronto, uh, sending out uh, a message of solidarity and love to all of my trans comrades, uh, those who are in my chosen family and those in my family yet to come. Uh, I guess one of the things that I want to say, because I've been uh, increasingly getting frustrated at the way in which uh, especially what we're seeing happening in the United States, which uh, can easily happen here, is the ways in which uh, particular kinds of gains can be repealed so easily. Uh, and especially when it comes to thinking about, uh, thinking about this within the context of, uh, thinking about this within the context of education. And I've been reminding myself that these processes are cyclical. And so uh, what we're calling the culture, like culture wars uh, as a way to kind of uh, characterize this moment, well, that's a cyclical process. Uh, in the 90s, we went through this within the context of education and cha uh, changing, you know, making curriculum change, et cetera, and there was backlash. And once again, we see in, within, the la, you know, within the last decade that backlash resurging again. But again, it's cyclical, and there are voices out there that will be allied voices. Uh, I, guess the question, uh, I guess the question for me is, how do we begin to start amplifying those voices? Because there's a very pernicious way in which uh, at least uh, within, I guess, you know, popular kind of left of center media where the response seems to be to uh, dis like dismiss what's happening as, uh, you know, the actions of a bunch of idiots. And I'm just like, but that's exactly the problem. If you dismiss <laughs> what's happening uh, as just simply, you know, oh, well, it, this will never actually take, you know, take hold. Uh, that's exactly why you should be, like, uh, amplifying very critical voices and actually talking about these are what the actual effects of these things, you know, of these different kinds of policy changes are going to be in. So that's kind of what I'm hopeful for, is that we will start to see uh, people recognizing that these are not a bunch of idiots that are running the show, but rather this is a very calculated effort that has been a long time in the making. I mean, I guess it's, uh, it's you know, I guess this is the way, uh, one of the kind of critiques of the left uh, is that uh, we don't seem to recognize that 
the right is like folks on the right are playing a long game and they've been putting these things in place for a very long time and so this is not something that's like a flash in the pan but rather part of like a lengthy institutional process uh, I could go on but that was amazing and so important and I just want to add one quick thing to that that I've been thinking about and seeing online discourse is to your point of the fact that this is uh, just something being puppeteered by idiots um, people's first response is often to call out the hypocrisy of some of the stuff they're saying well you know you say this about protecting children and but where are your gun laws on this um, and I think there's this important push right now to move away from that to move away from pointing out the hypocrisy because to your point uh, this is a very well manicured plan and they know it it's hypocritical, and that calling that out is not going to actually do anything. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I appreciate your call to kind of a different shift to action. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. This is Dana Seitler. I am the director of the Bonham Center for Sexual Diversity Studies, and one of the things that we want to say, we're in the middle of our of student research colloquium, and um, we want to um, just give a shout out to the protesters right now at the U.S. Consulate. We stand in solidarity with you with the actions um, that you're taking today, um, and we um, affirm um, the absolute and full bodily autonomy of trans people everywhere. One of the things that we were talking about is that there are a lot of different ways to think about activism and following um, Bell Hook's idea that one of the most um, radical spaces in the academy can potentially be the classroom. That's um, how we've been trying to think about um, both our work today here at the Research Colloquium, as well as the program um, of sexual diversity studies in general, both in our undergraduate and graduate um, uh, programs and students. Um, education is activism, and that means that classrooms are a potential space of activism. And um, I was thinking today that our research colloquium is a space of what Misha Cardenas calls visionary activism, a way to um, imagine a world that doesn't yet exist, but that we need demand um, for our own and demand for our own survival. So my name is Alifia. Uh, I'm an undergraduate student at the University of Toronto. I'm in my final year and I am uh, here today presenting my uh, senior research for the uh, SDS 460 class, uh, which is uh, on this day of trans visibility about uh, trans access to uh, non-transition related healthcare. Um, so very topical. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, I am very happy to be here, but I am a little gutted that I'm not able to be at the consulate today, so I'm glad to have this chance to uh, listen to my um, like peers and colleagues and mentors speak on these topics, as well as make a small little statement, um, you know, standing in solidarity um, with my trans siblings in the States. Um, as someone who is a US uh, citizen, it is definitely a very difficult time to be uh, queer and trans, even though I'm from states in the North and very, uh, currently democratic states where we're not feeling the implications of this as strongly yet. I know from speaking to my peers in the US, I know from speaking to my friends here in Canada even, that this is really on the forefront of all of our minds. Um, and yeah, I uh, hope to get more involved in organizing of this too, because it is, it's life or death, and it's really, really important. I'm uh, Tori Smith uh, of She Day, and I uh, teach uh, lesbian studies and uh, uh, undergraduate research course in SDS, and uh, on Trans Visibility Day, I think it's 
I want to offer my support to everyone who's at the consulate. Uh, whenever you're protesting at the consulate, it's a good thing. And uh, I also want to just say something about visibility. People have talked about the future, which is so important. But I also just want to mention the past and to remember that trans people have been there's a the right wants to present things like uh, it, it wants to present trans people as something new and 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 frightening and um, that must be controlled and that narrative gets picked up too much actually sometimes by by queer people as well and they I want to remember that 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 the history of the queer community is the history of the trans community and that those histories can't be separated. You can't separate lesbian history from trans history. You can't separate gay history from trans history. You can't separate queer history from trans history. And that, that we have to have the visibility in the past so that we are not buying into a false, uh, a false story. Uh, and so support to everybody. Sorry it's raining, but at least it's not cold and snowy and I hope you're all right. All right, take care, bye. Hi, uh, my name is T.L. Cowan, and I am um, one of the Queer and Trans Research Lab Faculty Research Fellows I'm here um, at uh, Sexual Diversity Studies at U of T. I'm also an Assistant Professor of Media Studies um, at UTSC um, and the Faculty of Information. And um, today on um, Trans Day of Visibility, um, I'm thinking about my long um, history now of over three decades um, of being in um, trans feminist and queer scenes and living through these waves of the intensification of transphobia in feminist and queer scenes. And I, um, on Trans Day of Visibility, what I want to do is um, is throw love on the problem, <laughs> um, throw love to my trans colleagues and lovers and friends and family members um, and collaborators and community members um, who have um, only ever just added um, fabulousness um, to my life. And, um, and I just think of all of these people who are building the intensification of transphobia, um, I just think, like, um, make your worlds fucking bigger. Make your minds fucking bigger and make your hearts fucking bigger. And um, I think just um, stop being shitty and start being um, way less shitty. I lived through the anti-trans feminism in the 90s, and I left so many feminist organizations and lesbian organizations because of their transphobia. And to see this happening again in 2023 um, absolutely baffles my mind. And I just cannot understand um, the incentives that non-trans people have to build this kind of hate into their organizations, into their lives, and into their legislation. And so um, while I recognize that all of these moves are moves of hate on Trans Visibility Day, what I want to do is, um, is, uh, is just shower my trans peeps with love and glitter.
My name is Jad Sinno. I use the and them pronouns. I identify as a queer, non-binary person of color, uh, culturally Muslim, and an immigrant. And um, at the University of Toronto, I'm doing my PhD at the Dalhousie School of Public Health with a collaborative specialization in SDS. And um, on Trans Day of Visibility, I think I'm feeling lots of emotions, somewhat overwhelmed, but overwhelmingly proud. Proud of trans and queer people who show up despite the violence, who are authentic to themselves despite the violence, and who find community and love and camaraderie with one another. And something about that to me is so powerful, it's so enriching. Queerness and transness to me fundamentally disrupts like the fabric of society, and it is unsurprising to me that we see this backlash and violence because of the possibilities and the new futures that come with being trans and queer. Um, and I'm especially proud of the folks who understand the needs for their safety and maybe don't have the capacity to be visible because transness and queerness comes in so many different ways and you don't have to perform it or display it in order to be authentically true. And, um, you know, I think a lot about queer and trans people of color, like I'm an Arab, I'm a Muslim, and a lot of people in my community who, like, in their resilience uh, are... Um, covert in their transness, and that to me is so powerful because they still show up in so many other ways. So I mean, a message to queer and trans folks, it's very difficult, but the backlash is not warranted, but understandable because you really are beacons of hope and difference and challenge systems of power and domination, and uh, keep on doing you because uh, I think we need that representation. My name is Kanika Lawton, my pronouns are they, them. I'm a PhD student in the Cinema Studies Institute, also doing the collaborative specialization in sexual diversity studies. I'm also one of the graduate RAs with the Queer and Trans Research Lab. I am a trans non-binary person of color, and this is my first trans day of visibility as an out non-binary person. And I've been thinking a lot about the politics of visibility, of hyper-visibility, of how visibility can be both a means of safety and a means of danger. So I'm very contingent about what it means to be out, in what context. And I'm also thinking about, you know, there are ways to refuse transphobia and discrimination and prejudice that doesn't put the spotlight on us, that doesn't make us, you know, visible to such harms, that it is okay if you cannot be visible in the ways that you want to be. It is okay to be opaque, to move between the shadows, because that is also a form of refusal. I also want to say that, you know, so much of my work, so much of my ways of thinking about who I am is through trans women, is through trans women of color, is through like my communities. I also want to say, you know, to quote Eric A. Stanley, another end of the world is possible. These bigots are not going to win. We will. And the righteous possibility of trans joy will not be extinguished in our lifetime or in the future.